Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle aged warriors, Chris Samino and Rick Summers. Well, welcome to show number, Chris, you told me show 90. 90, yeah. That's good, because I can't count that high, so I'm really <laughs> glad that you're keeping track, because yeah. I'm such well, a nor, loser. <laughs> nor do we want to think about 90, but hey, that means we're only 10 away from triple digits. Wow. wow that'll be something. I can't huh? believe, do you know, think about when we started this. It's now uh, two years ago, two and a half two years, years ago. Yeah, two years plus, about wow. two years, four months, yeah. I mean, just I just remember sitting around talking about it long before we even got it up and running. It's it's and everybody's got a podcast now. So why shouldn't we have one, too? That's right. Well, I'm I'm proud of the fact that we're still doing them. You know, I am, too. And there have been, some, been there's some, some trying times which have been hard for you, hard for me. Yeah. Times that I've said, nah, screw it. Just let it go. But every time we do it, I feel a sense of, you know what? We're not reinventing the wheel. We're just a couple of guys uh, sharing some of our life with other people who may or may not have any interest. But yeah. uh, the thing that's been great, as far as I'm concerned, is the guests that we've yes. had access to and some of the things that they've said along the way and that they continue to do as we all get older together. Yeah, I mean, the whole process is uh, not only therapeutic for uh, us, but hopefully for those listening. But you're absolutely dead on with pointing to it's all about the guests. We've got one today that you have brought into the fold. Yeah, now, I yeah. wasn't available for the interview that we're kind of doing this post. Uh, I had to have a couple of teeth ripped out of my head. But yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you <laughs> before we get to that, even uh, not that I mean, uh, the interview, uh, I wanted to ask how you're doing and uh, and ripped yeah. out of my head. Uh, doesn't really yeah it sounds kind of rough but uh I've, I've had oral surgery over i've known this oral surgeon dr stern in new jersey for many many years he's taken out impacted wisdom teeth and other things for me and just does an amazing amazing job and the last time though they had given me some gas so i was kind of like hey this is all right no problem so i'm sitting there and they're prepping me for this, this go around and then i'm looking around and you know they put the little numbing thing in there at first before they're going to give you the novocaine and Okay, where's the gas? Where's the gas? Where's the <laughs> gas? No gas. I didn't get any gas. Uh, I didn't get any anything to really to knock me out. All I had was was just some Novocaine to numb the area. But to be perfectly honest, uh, very little discomfort. It was it was fine. So good, good, good job good. there. But I'm sorry I missed this interview. We've we've got a great guest uh, yeah. today, Stephen Manchester, who you you brought to the fold. Uh, quickly before we get to the interview, a little bit about how that happened. Well, uh, Valerie, our voice of God, my beautiful better half ended up directing this film um quite by mistake but it turned out to be a life-changing <laughs> event for her life mm -hmm. and and she said you know you and chris really should talk to stephen manchester he's the guy who wrote the film the thursday night club which they're in the process of editing now they shot it earlier this year up in connecticut and she said you should talk to stephen because he's a really interesting guy and i thought okay yeah whatever let me find out so i read a little bit about him and he'll tell you more but the thing that just blew me away was the fact that he served in the persian gulf war back in 1991 mm -hmm. and i remember you and i've talked about this sitting on my couch watching that war unfold and stephen while in 
the Persian Gulf had some epiphanies and basically came back and said, I need to do what I was, whatever it is I was meant to do. And it wasn't necessarily going to war, right. but it was being a writer. And yeah. he's come back and been just uh, incredibly proficient. He's published so many books. I'm, yeah. I mean, it's in the teens. And uh, he'll tell you more about that in a second or two. No, I really enjoyed the interview, and I hope uh, those uh, waiting in the wings uh, who are going to listen to it, it because it's it's very insightful, and it comes from a guy that's just so genuine. He's just such yeah. a pure soul, and you can you can hear it in the way he uh, you know describes his path to get to where he is today, and uh, and a brilliant, prolific type writer, absolutely. So we're going to get to that first, of course. We have to uh, pay some bills, and we do that with our sponsor, Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the Stanley Cup finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Chris, thank you so much. And boy, speaking of middle-aged warriors, my partner, Chris, actually uh, had two teeth, I think, removed uh, sometime this weekend. So I'm hoping he's feeling better. But the the guest of the moment and the guy that we're so happy to have is a celebrated author and so many different credits that I'm going to attach to you. Uh, Steve Manchester, who is with us. Hi, Steve. Hi, Rick. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm honored to be here. I really am. I love that that Boston accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah makes, I couldn't get rid of it if I tried. You know, something makes me want to go out and get some New England clam chowder. There you go. Hey, awesome. chowder head. Yeah. Chowder. So how are you? I'm well. I'm very well. Thank you. Yeah. Busy. Uh, as you know, we got a bunch of different projects going on, but things are fantastic. I couldn't. I couldn't be happier. Well, so my first question is, how is middle age treating you? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I think well, right? Because it's all about attitude, right? I mean, I don't have, you know, the energy that I used to have. And, you know, there's things that I question as we we get along right on our path here. But uh, I feel very fortunate to be here. Every day that I wake up is is a good day, right? And uh, for me, that's not a cliche. I'm just grateful to be here and still be in the game playing, right? Well, it's funny you say it because uh, I used to do stand-up comedy, and mm-hmm. one of the routines I used to do was making fun of advertising slogans. And the one slogan that always jumped out at me was Folgers Coffee. And their slogan is, the best part of waking up is Folgers <laughs> in your cup. And I used to think, if that's the best part of waking up, it's really time for you to step back and reassess your life. <laughs> that's the truth. I love it. So what is the best part of waking up for you at this point? Uh, my family, first and foremost. So I'm um, you know, married to my wife, Paula. Uh, we have four beautiful kids. We have a, a new granddaughter. So uh, that's the best part. The best part is that, that legacy and continue to do what I love and sharing that with my family. Uh, that, that, that's what means everything to me. Yeah. And it's, I mean, four kids uh, and you have, from different marriages i think you had yeah 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 so my wife has a a, a daughter carissa it was not my daughter and then we uh, i had two sons evan and jacob and then together uh as i told you right we we did the brady bunch thing and right uh, which i think is great (laughs) and we ended up having bella who just turned 18 
uh, graduated from high school and she's on her way to uh, NYU Tisch. Okay, so as a middle-aged warrior, what's that like? Terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So I've walked some pretty dark roads. You know, I have a background in law enforcement and the military, and but it's different when it's your kids, right? So for me, if I was going to New York City from a small town in New England, I probably wouldn't be as freaked out as I am by sending my daughter. But I also know that I cannot allow my worry right, to get in the way of her progress. And uh, so it's just another thing you take out. I, and I, you know, when I wrote that book, Dad, Rick, right, I told people. Right, to, and we want to talk about that. Yeah, so for me, though, parenthood is, I mean, that's one of the prices you pay, right, is worry, constant worry. And I don't think it ever ends. So uh, I'm still paying, right, and I'm happy to pay, given yeah. what I get on the other end of it. On the other side of that worry are great dividends that you get back from, uh, right. from having kids. Absolutely. And this actually, this is great uh, fodder for you, not father on Father's Day, but fodder for you to become a good Jewish mother as you get older. Right, exactly. (laughs) That helicopter parent. You know, as I always say to Valerie, uh, who we will also discuss later on the show, I said, I'm Jewish, she's Italian. I said, the guilt is the same, (laughs) but her her food is so much better. (laughs) I love that. Absolutely. That's That's fantastic. So let's explain how you and I even uh, interconnected. Yeah. uh, So it's really amazing. It really is. And and again, very, very fortunate to have made that connection. So I feel, you know, super grateful for that. But uh, so your wife, Valerie, um, ended up taking on the directorship of a film uh, that I wrote or a story that I wrote, you know, uh, called the Thursday night club. So I wrote that story. I want to say five or six years ago, the story ended up becoming uh, an audio drama podcast, which was really cool. Uh, They actually recorded it in a, in a studio in, uh, I think it was Brooklyn a few years ago, but it's, it's one of these, you know, perennial type Christmas stories. Uh, You can download it for free, six episodes on Apple, but Kathleen Turner was in it. So it was a joy, you know, to be involved in that. And then my publisher contacted me, said, Hey, listen, uh, you know, we have some people that are interested in doing the film and your wife was attached as the director. So of course me being on my game, I went and researched her and, I was thrilled, right, to have Valerie, you know, as the director. And then I was blessed to be able to bring my daughter down to the set in New Milford, Connecticut. And I watched Valerie and and her amazing team at work. So I'll tell you, Rick, it's one thing to write because I I live in this two-dimensional world and I'm kind of like, it's it's neurosis, right? I'm by myself and I'm creating these characters. And then my daughter and I walked into hair and makeup and (laughs) and the two girls that were sitting in the chair getting their stuff done, uh, uh, running lines. And I look at my daughter and I, I repeat one of the lines and she starts laughing, but I wrote them. Right. So <laughs> right. it's a thrill to be able to see, you know, somebody like your wife, Valor, who's, who's, you know, so talented, be able to breathe life into this story and make it that three dimensional, you know what I mean? Like what I intended with, you know, with her spin on it and all these other people that are putting their own creative uh, twist on it. It just becomes so much more rich. Now the movie side is, is totally new to you. And what is, blown me away is looking through the laundry list of things that you have written in the past 25 years. I, I want to talk about your military service because I think that is key in mm-hmm. going through this as a warrior. And we use right. the word so loosely and you, right. you really were a warrior. Sir, since we're there now, let's talk about it. Serving the Persian Gulf War back in, in 91. How did that happen? Is that something you would always wanted to do as a kid growing up? Be 
go into the armed forces? Yeah, I want. I, I mean, I'll tell you, Rick. I, I wanted to be a police officer growing up. So my, I hate bullies. I've always hated bullies, right? And I was fortunate to be born with some size and yeah. you know a little bit of confidence. And I grew up with a couple of maniac brothers. So it wasn't like I was being bullied, but I hated people that preyed on you know folks that are weaker than them. So my aspiration as a young man was to be in law enforcement, right? And I really did, you talk about idealism, but I wanted to make that difference. And I became a cop and I was kind of a townie cop. And then I ended up working for the prison system in Massachusetts. And in total, I, I served for about 10 years, but I was in the uh, United States Army National Guard. So I trained with the regular US Army. I went to military police school. You know, I kind of came up through the ranks and I became a sergeant in Christmas of 1990. So picture, you know, the, the presents have been unwrapped, you know, the eggnog's right. gone. And uh, I got a call saying, hey, listen, first formation, 0700. Make huh. sure you call your people. We're going. I said, we're going where? Well, Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait and it was Operation Desert Shield at the time. Uh, so to talk about a surreal experience, fortunately, I had a lot of training. And at 23 years old, I was considered one of the old men, right, in the unit. <laughs> and we went overseas and we uh, we. I, I serve for uh, 14th MP Brigade, 7th Corps. My job, collect uh, POWs, uh, provide armed escorts for, for convoys, all all like really crazy, dangerous type stuff. But when you're a young man, it's all about the adrenaline. And as I had told you yesterday, I, you know, Saddam Hussein swore to take, a, you know, take us months to get to the breach from Saudi Arabia to Iraq. And it took literally minutes. And we got in there. Again, my job was to collect POWs. And there was nothing but carnage for about the, you know, the first three days. So it's not something that you ever expect to see as a human being. You get maybe four or five months into my uh, tour of duty, and uh, I flipped a Humvee. I actually flipped a Humvee end over end, and I, I was thrown out of the driver's side, crushed the driver's roof, and I was abandoned basically for about three hours. If you can picture the Humvee on its roof, the antenna was buried. I could not get you know, I had the call signs of frequencies. I could have easily called in a medevac, uh, but I couldn't get the call out. And we sat there for about three hours. And I'll tell you, Rick, I'm not afraid of too many things, right, on this world, in this world. But I, I was actually reduced to like a five-year-old, right, that had it, lost his yeah. parents in the mall, right? And I'm like, there's no, you know, I'm with my platoon sergeant. He was in shock. I treated him for shock. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're just waiting for, for night to fall, and I'm going to be taken prisoner myself. And the Iraqis weren't treating us the same way we were treating them, right? But I remember standing there in the desert, the Arabian desert, and I made a promise. Not if, but when I get home, Good. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, because life's too short. It could end at any time. I'm going to go chase my dream down. And my dream was to be a published author. And it wasn't lost on me that the rejection rate to become a published author hovers around 97%. Yeah. So I figured I'd be the guy in the 3% of the pool, right? And, uh, and it took me many, many years. And, you know, somebody recently asked me what was the greatest thing I ever gave my kids. And I said, um, and I told them that I allowed them to watch me fail for many, many years until I succeeded because I, I needed to show them perseverance. I needed to show them determination, right? And, yeah. you know, you can only prepare yourself and then wait for that opportunity. And it finally happened. So. That's kind of a long way to answer your question. But. No, that was a great answer. And actually, I mean, you are the perfect guest to, to speak to our audience. As, you know, we're all getting older. Right. You and I talked in prep yesterday a little mm -hmm. bit. And I said to you, jokingly, I said, yeah, men don't cry. They cry when their team gets eliminated from the playoffs. Right. But right. You know, it's just an emotion that's so to hear you talk about being reduced to 
I don't know, a seven-year-old kid right. looking for his parents in the mall while lying in the Iraqi desert I can, right. or the, somewhere on the Persian Gulf. I can't even imagine what that was like. But to pursue your dream of writing, when did you know you wanted to write? So my grandfather was an amazing storyteller. And, you know, because we come from the north, you know, we have our rednecks up in the north, too. And I come from one of those families <laughs> that I take great pride in. You know, my grandfather was a salt of the earth, but they used to call him a swamp Yankee, which is to say, you know, the guy who lived out in the woods, he could do anything with his hands. It was amazing. So to honor him and pay, you know, homage, when I got into the Gulf War, my call sign was swamp Yankee. And I remember my grandfather, Rick, like he, he would tell a story. And you couldn't tell if it was fact or fiction. You couldn't tell if it was real, not real. It didn't even matter. All I knew is that he could make you laugh whenever he wanted to. He could make you cry. And then he taught me that words have power and they actually connect us. And I thought, wow, like how amazing is that to be able to connect other people? And, you know, so that people don't feel alone, right? They, they realize that there are other people in the boat with them. What is your, what was your grandfather's history? Was he, was he born here? Was he an immigrant? Or- yeah, no, he was actually born here. So he was first generation. They came from England. So it was, you know, the Manchester family. And I think at the time they, they took on the names of the cities that they came from. Right. But I mean, I come from generations of very, you know, heavy handed, hardworking, you know, those type of people. And I take such great pride and I try to teach my kids, you know, we've come a long way progressively, but I don't forget the people that paved that way, right? My father paved that way. My, my, my father's father paved that way. So my name, my last name, and I've, I've really kind of beat this into my kids, not beat them, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I never let's, beat let's my kid. Yeah. Right yeah. 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 No, I never beat my kid. And I they, know, they know how important it is that, you know, when you leave the house, your last name is Manchester, right? So you're going to represent that because you're not just representing you. You're representing me. You're representing my father, my, you know, your grandfather. And it goes on and on. And, and that means something to me. And I think when I write, there's that underlying thread in my, in my stories about that. I heard an athlete who was interviewed. It may have been Wayne Gretzky uh, the other day who said the one thing that the veterans impressed upon me when I was a rookie. And I think he was playing for the Edmonton Oilers at the time. Mm-hmm. And this really abuts exactly what you're talking about. And he said, you can do anything you want. Just do not embarrass the organization. That is, you know, that's the Manchester name. That's the Edmonton right. Oilers name. And that is something you always have to be conscious of. Absolutely. putting your best foot forward. For and, sure. Uh, and we don't have a lot of that right now. No, we don't. We don't. And I think more of that needs to happen, right? Where people take responsibility. I mean, I came out of the prison system after 10 years and I ended up volunteering for about five years uh, with the Department of Youth Services. And what I would tell these kids is there's no question in my mind, everybody has a really difficult background. We all carry our weight, right, through this world. Um, But you're either a victim or you're not. You either take responsibility or you don't. And the reason I think I have lived the life that I've lived is because I own all of it. I own the sorrow. I own the joy. I'm responsible for all of it. And and I think as soon as you make that decision – and I've tried to teach my children the same way. Don't don't leave here and say, well, because of this person, I feel this way. No, 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 no. It's because of you, you feel that way, right? So change right. it. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, and I think we're taking, people are less accountable today, Rick, than they've ever been, in my opinion. And it's Yeah, sad. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. I have to ask you, and this is a very personal question. You don't sure. have to answer. Oh, please do. Have you ever been in therapy? Yes. Actually, I spent about five years. Uh, I was fortunate in that it was outpatient. Right. So I was able to live a quasi quote unquote normal life. But when I came home, I suffered tremendously 
for post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, I'm talking depression, uh, right. severe anxiety, you know, panic attacks. And I was, I went back in the prison system to work and this is going to sound really bizarre, but I do want to share this with your audience. I knew that there was something so wrong with me because the only time I felt normal is when I was in an incredibly dangerous situation. And then the racing heart and, you know what I mean? The, 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 you know, the, the sweaty hands, all that made sense. Right. It absolutely made sense. It's but like when you I, were an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, I really, it, it's so true. But to find that peace, if everybody talks about happiness, it's not about happiness. It's about peace. It's about being okay inside your skin. And I think it took me about five years and I was very fortunate to, to find the right therapist. And I went through a few of them. I mean, this therapist, I, I think for, for a lot of people, they'll, they'll try it and then they kind of shy away from it. My answer to that is, listen, find the person that works for you. And it's really just about getting it out, right? It's poison. You have to bleed that out. Oh, I totally believe. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's bleeding out the infection, right. letting the scab heal, and and then not picking at the scab, which right. I've, I've been doing it since I was a little kid. Yeah, I'm, right. I, right. I'm, I'm just the worst patient. I really am. <laughs> I, I want you to talk about how many books you've written, and one in particular, which really caught my attention, which I haven't written, but I plan on putting it on my summer list. And that is called The Menu. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, I've written 17 books in total. We have seven uh, that were national bestsellers, four went to number one. And I only share that because it's a thrill to have the opportunity to be able to write the next one. So everybody asks, hey, you know, what's your best book? It's always the one I'm writing, right? Because it's about the process. But the average book for me, Rick, takes six to nine months to write. And it's because I learned how to storyboard. I've become much more efficient as a writer. The Menu took me close to 10 years to write because I needed to get it correctly. And the menu is really about my faith. So it's not about religion. It's okay. not, hey, are you, you know, are you Jewish? Are you Christian? Are you Buddhist? It's not about that. It's about if somebody asks me what I think about the afterlife, then let me paint that in a picture for you. It took me, there's one chapter, in the, it's actually chapter 17, for whatever reason that the number 17 continues to, to rise for me. But chapter 17 probably took me four or five years just to get it right, because one of the characters, you know, passes away in the book. And when she opens her eyes, this is my vision of heaven, right? But the premise of the book, and it came to me, you know, these are the most random things that happen. And then you get excited about them and you go and do your thing, right? But the question is, hey, dad, you know, what, what do you think happens after we die, right? So what if we took that question, turned it on its head and asked, what do you think happened before we were born? And if and you, thought, you thought we existed before, we, like, if you think we're, you know, we're tied together for all time, who's to say that you didn't have a say in coming here? So what I did is I created this book called The Menu. And when you open up the first page, it's there's literally a menu. So if you pick courage, God says, well, you got to take fear, too. So the protagonist has to make a decision. He decides, you know what, I'm going to take it. Finally, hands the menu back, Rick, and says, you know what, I want to experience it all. I need you to pick your gender. I need you to pick your purpose. I need you to pick. He picks everything. And then he says, will I remember any of this? He said, yeah, when you come home to me. Right. But this is what you chose. The only thing you need to know is that other people chose other things. And I apply that because as much as I love my wife and I adore my wife, she certainly chose some different things on her menu than I chose. Right. So there's always that, that point where you're like, well, how would she want to, you know what I mean? Like, why is this happening? Cause she's, you know, hopefully we're living in parallel for the most part, but she's on her own path. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm on my own path. So it was a joy to write it. Uh, hospice throughout New England uh, adopted the book. 
I've done, I can't even tell you how many speaking engagements, but again, not a judgmental thing, almost like, you know, the tagline on the cover is you are never alone, not ever. And it's not, we're not talking about dogma here or breaking down, you know, what people believe religiously. It's about, I think we're all in the same boat. I'm rowing. How about you pick up an oar, right? And row with me. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that you talked before about wanting to be a police officer. You said I went back into the prison system and I actually probably should have jumped in and said he wasn't in prison. He was working. <laughs> I was working there, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I realized that. And we're talking with Steve Manchester, who is such an accomplished author and dialogue, a dialogtician. Okay, right. <laughs> I make up my own. Yeah, we'll I'm take like, it. I'm like the former president. I make up my own language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you're um, not like him. It's, it's just, it's it's such a joy to talk to you. And I can't wait to read this book, The Menu, because I have just, you know, I'm turning 62 next week. And my dad died two days before his 62nd birthday. Oh, wow. Right, like a long time ago. Right, uh, but I've been thinking a lot now about sure. life and stuff, and thinking about you know all the things that probably are going to be placed on your menu. One from column A, two from column B. Sure, you know, in case we're going to a Chinese restaurant. Uh, just real quick, because I know we're closing in on uh, on on time quickly here, but I wanted to know about your your book, Dad. So my dad passed three years ago. I was blessed to be in the room when he went. And, and I mean that, I, you know, I held his hand and yeah, it was, it was one of those experiences where it was incredibly emotional. I have four siblings. One of them was upstairs in the maternity ward. My father had promised her that he wasn't going to go anywhere until the baby was born. And my nephew Lucas was born at 11 o'clock at night and three o'clock in the morning, four hours later, my father passed away. Oh my God. So you talk about a spiritual experience. I, I can literally like picture them, you know, tagging each other in, right? Like high five. Yeah, really. Yeah. High five. And they cross home plate, right? Right. Yeah. Bringing a new player onto the field. So when he passed, I, I ended up working with my publisher, Lou Aronica, who's absolutely brilliant. And um, he said, Hey, what do you think? I'm not looking to exploit. And it's not about that. I write very emotional stuff. I, I'm known for writing tear jerkers, male perspective to a female audience. So I wanted to write about fatherhood, but from three different perspectives. So we have the old timer who is, you know, on his deathbed and all he wants to do is make amends and, and, you know, impart those last nuggets of wisdom. You have his son who is during a, a, a you know, stereotypical midlife crisis. What the hell's going on with me? You know, my career's coming to an end. My kids don't need me the way that they used to. What is my marriage like? You know, and then you have his son who finds out that he just got his girlfriend pregnant. Yeah. So very, very complex storylines, but they kind of, you know, intertwine in a way that. And it's hard to say this about your own work, but I love this book because I was able to capture three different phases of fatherhood. One that I'm yet to experience, but I have some, I've seen my father go through it very intimately. So uh, I know I'm, I'm on my way there. Right. So uh, it's, it's just one of those neat projects. Can I uh, go out on a limb Please and, do. and include you as, as my part of my mishpacha, uh, yes. which is a great Yiddish wood moving forward? I mean, you are, I, I feel like I've known you for years, and yet this is the first time we've ever actually right, uh, seen, seen each other. Each other yeah, absolutely. Talked, but I just feel, I, I love your soul. I love your, Thank you, brother. your, your input and there's so much more I want to talk to you about and hope that we can 
again. Oh, yeah. And next I'm coming time you'll back. come back. Hey, so Chris is here because he's I'd got a gazillion to. questions. But I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, can I wish you a happy Father's Day, even though it's already passed? Thank you. And, I appreciate uh, that. And that we'll do this again. Uh, yes. Steve Manchester, can you just give your website so people can find your your, your yes yeah, so, so i'm at uh stevenmanchester.com with a v my parents couldn't afford the ph so it's stevenmanchester.com <laughs> uh i'm also on facebook i'm very active i'm very approachable i love working with you know aspiring writers and i love and for me when when i when i write a book i, I write anything rick right it's the it's the first half of a conversation and the second half is the feedback it's actually talking to people that read right so i really love that so if, you know if you want to reach out friend me on facebook or and all my stuff's on amazon Hot everybody's crumb. stuff is on amazon yeah it's the world it's the world now right it's 95 you know, yeah. of the the market so i know really steve Crazy. thank you so much for your thank time. you rick Thank you. Really I appreciate it. such a joy to talk to you. And thank you for your years of service. Thank and, you, sir. And what you continue to do for all of us. Thank you. Rick, it was my pleasure. A joy. Okay. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, first of all, I love that Boston accent. And, oh, and, yeah. You know, just just sounds like kind of a tough guy, but hey, nah, he's, he's not. <laughs> he's Mr. Sensitivity, too. I think he's oh, all of that. He, he's a strong man, too, obviously, and a tough man. But wow. Uh, the diversity in his life. What a yeah. story, right? What a wonderful story. And, and I'm so happy that there's more to come as he continues to write. Me too. Uh, and I'm reading uh, his book that we talked about before, The Menu, which is, which uh, I'm going to send a copy to you. And I have a funny feeling I'm going to buy a few and yeah. send them to, you know, people who are important to us in our lives. Because Sounds think, fascinating, that story. Yeah, it really what a is. great concept. Really. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say preachy, but it certainly is spiritual right. and ethereal. To talk about life in a way that doesn't draw lines in the sand or separate us by labels of what religion or God we're following, it's kind of a little more generic. In that, in That's that. By the way, lines in the sand is pretty good since he was in the Persian Gulf War. Ah, uh, see that? It's all coming to you. That was subliminally done. <laughs> I had no intent on that. Subliminally done. but That's why they uh, pay me the big bucks. There you go. But he's had some, you know, I don't know if they were number one or certainly top sellers in the New York Times. Yeah, he's, had, he's had some best sellers. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, as I mentioned uh, in the interview, you know, Valerie was really lucky enough to come across Stephen because uh, her company basically got a hold of uh, the material that they mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, develop into a movie, which they did. And yeah. she was the director of that movie. And it's really just been a life changing, altering experience. Yeah, and I'm sure for him, just to see the evolution of him writing something and then a book and then to a screenplay, you know, it, it's that's got to be really very rewarding and really impressive. And he seems very excited about it and happy. Yeah. That it's, it's in good hands. So uh, we look forward to that as well. What else is going on with you before we say goodbye today? Uh, not much. I mean, you know, summer solstice, uh, can't yes. believe, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and we always joke that once July 4th comes, summer's pretty much over. Well, you say that and Valerie says that. Yeah. Mine's just getting started. I yeah, feel like I haven't even started yet. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe that it's uh, the last week of June. And um, it's, uh, it's a birthday for me. That's right. Uh -huh. I know you don't want to think about it. but uh... No, I, I'm happy to think about it. Okay, but good. Well, we have to have some fun. We have to do something, either a lunch or a dinner. Well, it, that sounds great. I'm happy to eat anything you put in front of me, and I'm hungry <laughs> right now, so there you go. Ah, an easy date. I like that. I okay. am an easy date. Right. And a cheap date, too, and because 
with yeah. my MS, I don't have to drink a lot to feel, you know, that does, yeah. One, one glass of wine and you've had a, like a wild night it. of partying. Yeah. You're on. That's you basically get... it. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. Uh, pr a pre happy birthday, but, uh, you know, Thank we'll you. see if we get a show in after that, but yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, uh, yeah, I guess everybody's gearing up for summer schools out for some, for those who, who are still dealing with kids in school. I had a good Father's Day. Uh, we spent some time with the kids. Good. It was nice. Good. I wanted to ask uh, they, they actually, uh, I got for some reason this Father's Day. Speaking of books, we had an author on, oddly enough, and my daughter got me the McCartney uh, lyric A to Z, uh, which is a book that basically it's over 150 songs that he wrote, and he explains all of the background and what you know oh, how the songs wow. survived. It's really I just started reading the intro to the book, and it's fascinating. And there's apparently uh, Linda. Uh, Eastman, who his first wife, she kept a lot of the scraps of sheets of paper they would write things on. Oh, really? And, yeah, she has like this huge scrapbook filled with all of those things. So they go to that, and you see some of those images as well. And then so my I son just wanted to ask you: the yeah. the, the Chris and Edme uh, summer concert tour is. Oh is, yes. Yes. Have you finished? I know you're getting ready to travel, but uh, but the concert tour here in New York. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Let right, me see right. if I can remember. Right. And there's no Dave Matthews anywhere in the equation, which is crazy. Well, yeah, it does. It's not working out in July for me, so we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, but so you far, saw, no go. You saw Billy Joel at the Garden. You saw. Wait, don't tell me because I know McCartney out at the the. I want to say the Meadowlands. Well, MetLife. It's the Meadowlands. Yeah, MetLife. That was and the last show. And then you saw, saw Coldplay. Yeah, the order was actually March was Elton John. And, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it, was, it was Elton John, and then uh, Coldplay, then Billy Joel, and then Paul McCartney. And the funniest thing about all of it with, with McCartney, again, the longest show, almost three hours. He's on that stage almost three consecutive hours. And I love Elton, love Billy, uh, but you know, you watch them get up from their piano stool and they kind of waddle over to the edge of the crowd and they wave and bow, you know. Paul, who's the oldest, he just turned 80, 80 the Saturday yeah. after that show, and he's bouncing around, climbing up steps to go to the next level of the stage. I, I don't know how this guy does it, and it was phenomenal. Springsteen came out, uh, did a few songs, and uh, even uh, John Bon Jovi came out to sing Happy Birthday to him with some balloons. So it was, it was a very festive night, always a great show. So it was ironic that my daughter got me got me that book. So, it, you know, it's it's the Beatles are kind of one of those things you walk away from for a few years and then all of a sudden you start getting into them again and you yeah. listen to them and hear them in a different way. And uh, whether it's through the evolution of your own life, your perception changes to what you're hearing. But, and the other thing, actually real quick, my son got me another book. <laughs> this is an interesting one. The man who broke capitalism. That is Jack Welch. Ah, uh, it's a very, uh, <clears throat> it's your it's former a, boss, my former boss. And it's a really tough book about Jack Welch. It's not, it doesn't shine a lot of, sunshine on him let's put it that way so it's really an interesting interesting read he, he now thought we just i have to teach you how to read well that's got you know i go there are no pictures and this is the problem <laughs> with these books so uh i'm working on that but uh but anyway so i thank my children for a really wonderful father's day it's always it's always great to spend time Good. you know and, and hear laughter and share that with anybody friends or family for that matter so so you work on your books i'm gonna work on yep. my Stephen manchester the menu Yep. Um, and uh, we'll compare notes. And we have a, a couple of shows that we're toying with moving forward, including one uh, concerning finance yeah. and what you should be doing with your money right now. Yeah. Also, 
Uh, speaking of the Beatles, May Pang, uh, uh, who uh, has a documentary forthcoming. Uh, it's been at the Tribeca Film Festival, has been gracious enough to agree to come on and join us for Middle Age Warriors. So That'll we're going to be awesome. sometime this summer. Yeah, yeah, I've known May off and on through the years, and she's she's just she's a doll, and her stories, you know. Mm-hmm. The stuff that documentaries are made of. Yeah, there that? you go. Oddly enough, she's doing one. Well, <laughs> we, we wish her luck with that, and we hope to get her on the show as well. And yeah, I think we have a lot of nervous Nellies right now, including yours truly, uh, in terms of finances and where this is all going, with interest rates going up and 401k plans shrinking, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we hope to get one of the guests that we've had that's that's been an expert on it at least in the past to get back on the show and talk about that shortly. Yeah. So for me, uh, sunshine always. Stay smart. Stay safe. Stay wherever you want to stay out there but just stay okay that's all we have <laughs> stay just a little bit longer, longer. stay free <laughs> anyway uh be good feel good i'm rick he's chris we so thank you for checking out middle-aged warriors and uh hope uh, your summer salts this is wonderful i like it i'll drink to that and remember the show is always brought to you by bet online go mets Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.